0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of Bright Star Bible Church. I'm Pastor Michael Branch. Well as we begin we pray, Lord sanctify us in truth. Your Word is truth. One of the easiest ways that our enemy can confuse and uh, and mislead the masses in our world is by changing what God has already defined in scripture and presenting a the uh, presenting the lost with a worldly definition of those things we've already talked about this before whenever I I've preached in the past but it's certainly worth talking about again and again and again it's important to remember that our Lord is the Prince of Peace he is not the Prince of Confusion that title belongs to Satan and Satan alone and There is nothing that he enjoys more than dividing godly friends and separating godly families and confusing godly churches. And I'm sure most of you know what I'm talking about. You've probably been through it before. But how does it happen and why does it happen? And I believe that it happens because the world is desperate for truth. And we are all desperate for truth. um, But the world is desperate for light and goodness. And of course, we all are. Uh, And if you look around, it seems like everyone seems to offer some solution to the problems we have. The world's solution is either to A, sell you things or separate us into these little boxes or groups based on our interests or our identities and then they want us to identify with those groups and that's called groupthink. It's the idea that you have to align your beliefs with what your group believes because after all, the people in that group are the only ones who truly understand who you are and truly know who you are. This is the idea that the world is pushing constantly. And even churches are getting wrapped up in this idea. Uh, they, they're offering your best life now and uh, a new way to do church, and let me tell you, they know how to market it. They know how to get people in the seats, and again, that's groupthink. They'll tell you whatever they have to to keep you there. They've taken biblical theology and they've turned it into self-help theology. And you hear me say this time and time again, we are in a lost world where the lost is helping the lost in all reality. But everything the world is looking for are in these pages right here, and in the pages that you have on your laps right now. The problem is that they don't want to hear it. It's uncomfortable. It requires them to change things. It requires them to look at their brokenness. And it hurts, it doesn't feel good. We've all had to do it. I know I certainly have. Uh, but they hate this message. They hate it because they aren't in the center of it. It's not about them. If you're looking for love, this right here will tell you all about it. If you're looking for joy, it will tell you all about it. It will tell you what peace is and why you need it in your hearts. It will tell you what justice is and tell you that it's not yours. It will tell you that pride leads to destruction and it tells you and it will tell you that life is precious. Your life is precious. It will tell you that you were created for a purpose and whether you like it or not that purpose will glorify your creator. It will tell you what truth is and that there's only one truth and that truth is his truth. And so if you're like me, you can see what our enemy is doing. He is redefining everything so that the lost will stay lost and the broken will stay broken and the weary will stay weary. He's telling the world that the love, love is in you and it's whatever you want it to be. Joy is found in yourself and your success and your possessions. Peace is in yourself. The world needs you and your peacefulness justice is yours so take it be proud of yourself and you can do anything you should be living your best life now oh you got pregnant it's just a of clump of cells so let's kill it and rejoice in its sacrifice so that you can live your life but here's here's the worst part our enemy is redefining Christianity for the world right now as we speak all Christians have to face this at some point. Even right here in Tulsa, there are churches allowing him to do this. There are pastors allowing him to do this. He's redefining church. He's redefining worship. He's even redefining the gospel and putting you right in the center of it. But hear me out. None of this has taken our Lord by surprise. This isn't Satan's gotcha moment. Remember, God declares the end from the beginning, and He is the Alpha and Omega, and his, in His sovereignty, everything goes according to His plan. And here's the truth that's found in Scripture. There is a place called heaven, and it's described as being so magnificent, not one of us could even come close to imagining how great it truly is. There will be no pain, no sorrow, no remorse, and and we will bask in God's glory forever. Completely awake, totally aware, fully conscious with our thoughts and our feelings and with all of our senses for all of eternity. And the Bible says that there's also a place called hell, and it's described as this. Endless torment, constant pain, sorrow, and anguish, a gnashing of teeth, and horrific sights and sounds of weeping and wailing forever. There will be tremendous remorse and regret, and again, completely awake, totally aware, and fully conscious with thoughts and feelings, and all of our senses, for all of eternity. You will feel every second of what what goes through in either eternities. But the best and most important news is that you can totally avoid hell. It seems like it's the obvious choice that heaven would be the one that people choose. That they would do whatever it takes to get there. But scripture tells us that there are those who think they've made that choice only to discover later that they had made a terrible mistake. They think that they're going to avoid hell and end up in heaven, but sadly, they will be turned away. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 7, verse 21. Matthew chapter 7. verse 21 says not everyone who says to me Lord Lord will enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my father who is in heaven will enter verse 22 many will say to me on that day Lord Lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles And then i will declare to them jesus says i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness let me tell you something these three verses may be the most terrifying verses in all of scripture imagine being the one who hears this from our lord jesus christ himself thinking that because you said a prayer you were in you had the ticket no conviction no repentance no discipleship and no relationship and here's the worst part he doesn't just say that there will be a few he says that there will be many many who are mistaken about where they'll end up for eternity and we all know that there are people who want nothing to do with the gospel they want nothing to do with god they want nothing to do with jesus or his word and It's clear that these could possibly be the enemies of God, and we all know they're headed for hell unless the Holy Spirit intervenes. But these verses are sobering not because they are for the lost, but because they are to us, the church, people who call Lord, Lord, to him. They are to proclaiming Christians. There will be many who say to him lord lord and there will be many who profess christianity but will be turned away at their judgment therefore jesus makes it clear that your destiny has nothing to do with what you say and has everything to do with what you do it's not about profession but it's about obedience it's not to say that a a verbal profession of the lord as your savior is bad because it's not it's good and it's necessary in order to be saved we have to confess with our mouths and believe in your heart and of course we know that that's the Holy Spirit's job to lead one to this conviction and then leads one to confession but this profession cannot stand alone let's look at it verse by verse and we can break down and we'll try to understand it better So back to verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, will enter. Now there are two key words in this verse, and the first one is says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord. So here Jesus is talking about empty words. Your words mean nothing if the follow-through of action is not present. If you say that you believe, is that enough? Jesus is telling us with his own words that it's not. And there are entire churches built upon the idea of it being enough. That all you have to do is say this prayer, doesn't matter if you're five years old, you can go on to living your life how you want, and you're saved. They're teaching this. The second word in this is does. But he who does the will of my Father. And to the untrained ear, this sounds like a complete contradiction to the, one of the most popular verses of all time, John 3:16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever mm-hmm. believes in him shall not perish but have mm-hmm. eternal life. Now, if we know that the Bible is inerrant, meaning it cannot be wrong, it's incapable of being wrong, and if we know that the Bible is infallible, meaning that there are, it contains no errors, then there must be some explanation for these two seemingly opposing verses. And as I mentioned earlier, bending the truth is how Satan deceives the world. And unfortunately... Christians alike and out of John 3 16 the enemy has taken one word and redefined it with a worldly definition and the word on the chopping block is believes for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life listen you can change the definition of that one word and that entire verse can be used however the enemy wants to use it. It loses its power to change lives. And in this world we believe a lot of things referring to the worldly definition. Some of us believe in free speech while others believe in cancel culture. Some believe that OU is the best team while others believe OU is the best team some people believe in Bigfoot (laughs) some people believe in Bigfoot while others believe there's not enough evidence and in fact the word believe in its worldly definition can pretty much just be interchanged with think so some people think Bigfoot exists some others think there's not enough evidence and by this worldly definition even Satan himself believes in God, and believes Jesus is the Son of God, and believes that Jesus died on the cross for the sins of the world. But your beliefs in Jesus Christ should be nothing like this. And what's sad is there are people outside of Christianity who understands this better than most Christians. Some of you may know this name, Jordan Peterson is a perfect example. He is a modern day philosopher of sorts um, and has been asked time and time again if he believes in God. And in one of his videos, he makes it very clear that he does not like this question. He, he, he sees it as a very personal and private question, but he never answers it. This is what he says. Well, what do you mean by believe? Like do you mean, do you mean the words? if?" You say, I believe in God, then it indicates that you believe in God. I mean, is what you believe what you say, or is it what you act out? And Jordan continues, I would say to some degree it's both, but when push comes to shove, as far as I'm concerned, belief is what you act out, not what you say. Again, he says... And if you are an integrated person, then what you act out and what you say are the same thing. And then you can be a person whose words can be trusted. He continues, so if you say that you believe in God, what effect does that have on your behavior if you believe it? Does, what does that mean? Does that mean you're all in or just part in? Half the way in. And in Jordan Peterson's book, um, 12 Rules for Life, he states this. Remember, this guy is not a Christian. The Christian tradition, Christ, is identified with Lagos, and Lagos is the Greek word for word of God. The word, and then he capitalized the word, meaning he, he understands that the word is tied to Jesus. The word transformed chaos into order at the beginning of time in his human form Christ sacrificed himself voluntarily to the truth to the good to God and in consequence he died and was reborn the word that produces order from chaos sacrificed everything even himself to God that single sentence he continues that single sentence wise beyond comparison sums up christianity as a whole every bit of learning is a little death forcing it to dissolve into chaos before it can be reborn as something better sometimes such deaths virtually destroy us now Like I said, Jordan is not a Christian, yet his understanding of the word believe is a biblical definition. It's sacrificing yourself and your entire life to God. That is doing the will of the Father, not just saying you believe. Now keep your your finger in Matthew, because we'll be coming back to it, but let's flip over to Romans. This is Romans chapter 2, verse 12. Romans chapter 2, verse 12. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who who are just before God, but the doers of the law will be justified. And we see the same language again in James. James chapter 1. James chapter 1 verse 22. But prove yourselves doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. Now stick with me for a minute. The word delude is used in mathematics and it refers to a major miscalculation professing christians who are content with only hearing the word have made a serious spiritual miscalculation if all you do is hear it and you don't obey it or do it or live it you are self deceived you are seriously mistaken if you think you will be able to stand firm on the day of judgment let's continue in james this time in chapter two verse 26 chapter 2 verse 26 James for just as the body without the spirit is dead so also faith without works is dead and just in a couple verses before this in verse 24 uh, he says that a man is justified by his works and not by faith alone don't get this twisted He's not saying that you can work to earn your salvation. You can't. But your works and how you act and doing the will of the Father, these are the good fruits that set true Christians apart from the world and even set true Christians apart from false Christians. Now understand, I, I understand that this might strike a chord with some of you, hearing the term false Christians. But understand me that this comes directly from Scripture. And Michael and I have told you before, we will not sugarcoat Scripture. This is so, so serious. And I will have failed this morning if you walk away from this message without even giving it a second thought. Even in my preparing for this sermon today, I had to rethink some things. I had to think through it. And guess what? If I find it in God's Word, I will change it like that. You have to be that way. It says even the demons believe in God. Every Even the demons believe in God. Absolutely right. Now let's go back to chapter 7 in Matthew. We were there. We were holding our finger in it. Verse 21 again. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven will enter. This is the biblical definition of beliefs. This is not the the beliefs that the demons believe in. Demons aren't doing his work. Doing the will of the Father is to believe. It's to believe in your heart. So like the old adage says, don't just talk the talk, but walk the walk. Let's continue to verse 22 many will say to me on that day lord lord did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles again he doesn't say there will be a few he says there will be many and notice the description that jesus gives uh, of the many who will be turned away on the day of judgment they will prophesy in the name of jesus they will cast out demons in the name of Jesus they will perform many miracles in the name of Jesus to the average Joe who witnessed these things on the outside these look like the most Christ like people they could ever meet they would look like true Christ followers they would look like missionaries and pastors and ministers and even Apostles and they would surely be able to convince anyone to follow them because of their works because of what looks like an immortal higher level of holiness and godliness and righteousness that we're all looking for but none of us could attain and you may know some people like this you may know groups of people like this who fit this description and more than likely you do because I know some of you who have the same circles in this verse the many who jesus speaks of claims his name and his authority three times claims in your name we prophesied in your name we cast out demons in your name we performed many miracles and in the very next verse we see those who claimed jesus are not claimed by him 23 says and then i will declare to them i never knew you depart from me you who practice lawlessness professing christ while living in sin and lawlessness will one day is expose you as a hypocrite and we're not perfect it's not about being perfect it's about trying and longing and desiring to be be perfect not for your image that people see but for for your sacrifice to the Lord. It was Judas who ran up to Jesus saying, Lord, Lord, only to give him a kiss of betrayal. So listen, I'm about to strike another chord, but that's okay because it's scripture. Anything you proclaim to be from God that is not from God is blasphemy, and it's a sin. It's no different than saying the GD words. It is using his name in vain. And we see people do this all the time. People throw out the God told me statement like it's going out of style. And I wish it would. Because let me tell you, if you believe God told you something, and then you spread that message, you are prophesying. You are saying, thus saith the Lord. But here's where it gets real. Are you willing to stand before Christ on judgment on that day and say to him, Lord, Lord, and proclaim that you prophesied in his name? And like I said, I'm sure that strikes a chord, but please give it some thought. Let's look again at verse 23, specifically the statement that says, I never knew you. This statement doesn't mean that he didn't, doesn't actually know who they are. He knows who everyone is because he created them. But if we break this down in the original Hebrew text and laid it all out with the components that make up this statement, it would say this. Not for a single moment have I ever acknowledged you as my own. This, this word knew has a much, much deeper and intimate meaning than what we perceive. In Genesis chapter 3, it says that Abraham, or Adam knew his wife Eve and she conceived. And in the same way regarding Joseph and Mary, it states that Mary became pregnant yet Joseph never knew her. So in both of these instances, using the Hebrew text, it explains an intimacy between a husband and wife, and we've heard it time and time again in Scripture that husband and wife is a picture of of the Trinity, of God and His Son, and God and the church. Just after this, verse 23, Jesus gives us a parable about two foundations Verse 24, Therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell and the floods came and the wind blew and slammed against that house and it fell. And great was its fall. This is the one uh, this is one of the few times that we actually see Jesus make a statement and then follow it up with a parable that backs up that statement. A parable that tells us just how serious Jesus was. The house represents your Christian life, while the rock is God's Word, and His Word must be our solid foundation. You must eat, drink, sleep, and breathe His Holy Word. The storm that slams against the house... (coughs) represents divine judgment on the day of the Lord. Only the house that is built on the firm foundation of Christ will stand firm at judgment, while the other is on sinking sand. The house that was built on sand has no regard for biblical truth or obedience to scripture. That foundation is one of self-reliance. Thoughts and feelings of a wicked heart and mind guide that foundation and listen scripture makes the same descriptions about both houses they are exactly the same and they are right next to each other the difference is the foundation alone the part that you can't see because on the outside everything looks great and godly it looks strong and steadfast but as we know one has a terrible fate now let's look at the parable just before this. This is verse 18, Matthew chapter 7 verse 18. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into fire. The fire represents judgment. Verse 20. So then you will know them by their fruits. And they lay out, the, they, we we know exactly what the fruits of the Spirit are. So we've seen two types of believers in both of these parables that we've talked about today. One being the house that's sitting side by side. A true believer and a false believer and the same thing for the trees. Uh, good fruit is the true believer and the tree that bears bad fruit is the false believer. And we know that jesus told the parable about the good seed he sowed the good seed and then the enemy came in and sowed the bad seed the tares alongside them again it's imagery of true believer and the false believer let's turn to titus chapter 1 verse 16. titus chapter 1 verse 16. paul is talking about false teachers in the church Who claim to know God but are detestable and obedient he says they profess to know God but by their deeds they deny him being detestable and disobedient and worthless for any good deed we find this time and time again in Scripture so back in Matthew chapter 7 verse 13 Jesus says enter through the narrow gate for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction and there are many who enter through it verse 14 but the gate is small and the and the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few who find it again jesus says there are many who are lost but clarifies that there will only be a few who find life. And it's frightening to think about, but it is serious. It is so serious. The cows want to get in the message too. (laughs) How are we to know for certain that on the day of judgment, we will hear, well done, good and faithful servant, rather than depart from me, I never knew you. It's always scripture that tells us what we need to know. Don't just be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. Too many people see church as a teacher standing before students. But that is a complete lie. We are students. Every single one of us, including myself, including uh, in, including Pastor Mike. But this is not a classroom. This is a family tree where one trains up another, who trains up another, and trains up another. That is the biblical calling that we have on our lives. Every single one of us, every single one, we're all called to serve the ministry of God. We're all called to declare his truth of the the gospel, Every single one of us is called to make disciples. We are called to submit our lives to God. We are called to be slaves to Christ. We are called to die and raise again completely different. We are called to be obedient to God's word. Separate yourself from the things of this world because if you are God's sigula, which is his prized possession, you are not of this world. And anything who takes your attention away from God, is the enemy of God. But can you handle that truth? Are you ready to let go of your flesh? Are you ready to submit yourself to your king? Like I said before, it's not about being perfect. I am far from being the perfect servant of God. But we should be longing to be the perfect servant of God. We must pick up our cross and live for him every day, every minute of the hour and every second of the minute fathers your families need to see what this looks like model it for them be bold and be different because we are called to be different you cannot serve two masters jesus said that himself you will either love one or you will and you will hate the other Soon we will face a time of tribulation, and soon we will face a time of judgment. Will your house stand firm against the storm because it's built on the rock, or will it crumble beneath the waters in a great fall? Think about that today. Please think about that today. Let's pray. Thank you so much for joining us today. We hope you were encouraged by the truth of God's word. If you're in the Tulsa area and are looking for a local church family that teaches God's word, then join us at 1030 every Sunday morning, or you can join us live online on our Facebook page or YouTube channel. Until next time, brothers and sisters, as Paul instructed, rejoice, be made complete, be comforted, be like-minded, live in peace and the God of love and peace will be with you.